When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in everyone to PFN's premier fantasy football podcast. I am your host today, Tommy Garrett, fans analyst here at Pro Football Network. Joining me today is fellow PFN fantasy analyst, Jason Katz. Uh, Katz, dude, it's uh, Monday. We had a good little weekend. How's your uh, How's your time been, dude? It's been great. Uh, it's been a nice, relaxing time period following the chaos that was the NFL draft and a little bit of the schedule release. So it, it's good to get a little bit of a down period and really get to dive in to these new players that have just entered the NFL. Yeah, that's the thing. It was when we kind of, when you work in the industry, you kind of get a, a time frame like how the season flows. Like it's not just okay, Sundays are the days that matter. No, it's it's everything throughout the offseason too. We kind of go through the whole season. We get to the Super Bowl. And it's like, all right, now we look forward to free agency. After free agency, then it's a draft. Then it's a schedule release. And then at that point, we're finally able to take a bit of a deep breath and kind of relax a little bit. Because there's not very many chances we get to do that covering the NFL. Like it's not just a September through February event when I was when I was a fan and I didn't care about it as much as I did. And I didn't get paid to care about it like I do now. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a totally different world at this point. I think the schedule releases, I, I talked about this with Cody when we were doing the PFN daily uh, uh, show. I think the schedule release is completely overblown for most cases. Like, do we pay too much attention to it? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are. Like, I think it's cool and all, but do we need to spend like an entire week of hype of slow releases? Like, no, just let the teams get the stuff, put it out there and release the damn schedule. I don't think it's that hard. Yeah, when did like schedule release videos become a thing with these teams re- creating these all extravagant things just to say it's social hey, here's media. Who we're playing? I think it's it's just social media. Yeah, it, it's it's fascinating how the schedule release has become this big deal when it's it's really just a list of who they're playing and we're not going to really think about it again until we do our drafts in late August early September. Yeah, for the most part, although I will say Chargers like congratulations like I'm going to give y'all a golf clap for this one. Once again, the Charger social media performs out there and just puts everyone to bed with how good they are. All right, so enough rambling at that point. What we're doing is we're going to continue on with the series of talking about this 2022 NFL rookie class with more of a redraft mindset. We can talk about Dynasty probably in a little bit while we're kind of going on. This is going to be mainly about how these guys are going to impact your teams and your rosters for this upcoming season. We already hit on the quarterbacks and the running backs. So today we're going to kind of transition to the pass catchers, the hot topic in the NFL, the guys who've been bringing in all of the money this offseason, especially some of these big trades and big names and moves. If you're just now tuning back into the NFL, you've got some catching up to do. Some of these rosters have completely changed. 
Um, and some teams honestly greatly needed a change. And I think the first one we'll start off here is actually the first receiver who came off the board, and these will be in draft order, not so much our rankings. We'll get to that in a different podcast, but for right now, we're just going to stick with the way that the NFL took these guys off the board. So the first one that came off the board during the NFL draft was at pick number eight, and this was Drake London, the USC uh, the USC receiver. I am a massive fan of Drake London. I don't know about you, Cats. I've talked about him quite some time. The thing that annoys me, and I will climb to the top of every water tower to defend Drake London's honor, he is not just a darn contested catch receiver. Yes, he is 6'3 and a half. Yes, he is 229 pounds. And yes, he can take a 50-50 ball and turn it into a into more like an 80-20. The thing that I want to point out is that for Drake London, his role changed so much is that when he wasn't with Michael Pittman Jr. and he wasn't playing alongside uh, those other guys that had USC, which was an incredible receiver core, not to mention Amon Ross St. Brown, lined up in the slot on 96% of his snaps during his first two seasons, but then flipped to 85% on the perimeter last season that helped him to receive a massive 38% target share, 88 receptions, over over 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns. Like The contested catches are what kind of like he is known for, but the biggest thing I want to point out is the fact that 81 of his receptions last season came from either behind the line of scrimmage or to 10 yards down the field. That's not a contested catch style stat line. The guy is so much more nuanced in his route running at all three levels, whether at off the line, at mid phase, or at the point of the catch. That's one of the biggest things I want to take away from that. If you are looking at Drake London this year, not only are you looking at a substantial target share something we're going to touch on here in a bit because of the addition that the falcons just made but you're getting a guy who's going to be able to give you production not just in contested catch situations but he's going to give you that usable high target floor which is kind of very necessary anymore in ppr formats cats i don't know what your thoughts are on uh on drake london are what you said is very very important and that's he's not just a contested catch specialist we have seen that archetype of receiver just fail repeatedly in the nfl over recent years, we saw guys like J.J. Sega whiteside Nikhil Harry, the guys that couldn't get open oh. in college, they couldn't get open in the NFL either. Drake London can get open. London will be their guy on the outside with Pitts likely spending time in the slot and really being lined up all over the formation. The Atlanta Falcons look very different in 2022 than they did in 2021. Matt Ryan is gone, replaced by Marcus Mariota. Russell Gage is gone. He was actually their wide receiver target leader last season with 94 targets in 14 games. They did bring back Cordero Patterson, but they will be without Calvin Ridley, who's suspended for the entire season. So there are a ton of available targets, and Drake London is going to soak up a significant portion of them. I think he has a really good chance of hitting or of exceeding a 20% target share as a rookie. And there's a path here to him providing wide receiver three value right out of the gate. Yeah, I think one of the things I will say, too, is I would not necessarily categorize London as just the primary perimeter guy. I would not be surprised if they decide to rotate back and forth with Arthur Smith. Hey, I want to have Pitts out there out wide. I want him as my my ex, and I want to move Drake London inside as a slot guy. I think they both bring you a little bit of difference on how they attack the game, but I think their skill sets are so versatile they're going to be used in and out of the formation. I think what they did too is they brought in a bunch of just big framed passing windows. Like, okay, I just got to throw the ball close. 
one of these guys is going to come down with it. And actually, one of the things we want to talk about here, not only did they bring in uh, Drake, not only did they bring in Drake London, but the Falcons also made a trade with the Las Vegas Raiders for Brian Edwards, the third year receiver out of South Carolina. I think this is an interesting one because I think there was no question about it. The Atlanta Falcons entered this offseason with the worst wide receiver core in the NFL. I think the question, the concern was from a lot of people is how much is Brian Edwards, does he shift the needle for you when it comes to Kyle Pitts or Drake London's value? For me personally, just looking at the way these guys all kind of operate on the field in different areas, I don't see Brian Edwards really impacting London or Pitts. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. I'm kind of more on the side of closing the door on Brian Edwards. Uh, This is just a player that has not been productive at any point in his NFL career. I know he had a better year last year than the year before, but he had, I think, sub 200 receiving yards as a rookie. And typically we want rookies to amass at least 500 to 550 He was also yards. injured his rookie season too. He came I into the NFL that. injured and then also hurt his head with an MCL and I believe also hurt his ankle, I think it was. So he was banged up his first year. I will give him a little bit of credit for that. Of course, and we, we shouldn't discount that. But at the same time, the historical threshold for rookie production, it, it, it accounts for the injury. The injury is part of it. And the reason that the receiver doesn't reach the threshold, typically it, it, it's, it hasn't necessarily moved the needle on whether that player will end up being a success at the NFL level. So given Edwards' early career production, I'm not overly optimistic, but this is a very shallow depth chart. And there is a path for him to emerge into their wide receiver two if things break right. I mean, we said the same thing last year when he was in Las Vegas, when they had no one and Zay Jones outperformed him. So, I mean, it is what it is. Like, it's a very similar role last year, just with a lesser quarterback, because I don't believe Marcus Mariota or even Desmond Ritter, if he were to potentially get out there on the field, they're not better than Derek Carr. So while I like Brian Edwards, I'm not, he's not a guy who I'm, I'm looking to target. He might be a priority waiver move at some point down the line. Who knows? Um, I'm not going to completely rule him out yet, but like I said, I'm, I don't see him necessarily moving the needle in one direction or another when it comes to London or Kyle Pitts or, I mean, even Cordero Patterson. Like I just saw some people trying to correlate that together. I'm like, I don't see how we're trying to tie together a a deep guy down the field who had like a 16 plus a dot with a running back. I don't, I don't see how those guys are correlating together, but look, some people know more than I do. It is what it is. Um, we'll move on here to the second receiver who came off the board and to a team that honestly just crushed the draft from top to bottom. That's going to be the New York Jets. It's weird talking about a Jets team having a great draft, but look, this is where we are now. It's 2022. Weird things happen. But at pick number 10, they selected Garrett Wilson, the Ohio State receiver. I'm massive fan of Garrett Wilson. Uh, on a lot of people's boards, he was the wide receiver one of this class. And you can kind of go back to the Jets draft. I think it's arguably they drafted three players who are the number one spot at their position. I think Wilson, no question about it, has the upside to be that. Go back to what he had during Ohio State, which was a historically loaded class, which is what's scary is that Garrett Wilson isn't even the best receiver at Ohio State. That's Jackson Smith and Jigba who will come out after this season, and it's the guy's insane. Um, Just go back to his 2020 season with Garrett Wilson. When he was playing alongside Justin Fields, he accounted for 34% of Ohio State's receiving yards and 27% of their receptions. And we go back to to last season where he just all of a sudden kind of continues to completely blow up and dominate pretty much all of the Big Ten and all of college football. He's a nuanced route runner, breaks so efficiently, really good at manipulating defensive backs with his feet and his hips. I think his footwork is really good too where he can stack a defender quickly and get separation with a couple different moves on the outside. Doesn't just do like a jab step and then cut inside. He's got a couple different moves on there. 
Um, I think he backed up his speed to 4-3 in the 40, 36 in the jump, uh, 123 in the broad, although I do believe that the NFL Combine's a little bit overrated, but it just backs up what we saw on the field. Um, it's an interesting situation because I think Elijah Moore still has a potential to be one of the best slot corners, although he played him a lot last year actually at the Z, to be one of the best in the NFL. So and the question is, who is going to be the number one for the New York Jets? Is it Garrett Wilson or will actually be Elijah Moore in 2022? I still think it's Elijah Moore. We can't discount how well he played as a rookie. He commanded an 18.6% target share. And this was a player that really wasn't seeing any significant targeting until later on in the season. Uh, it's the Jamison Crowder signing. We hated it when it happened because we knew what it was going to do Elijah Moore. Yeah, I remember going into last season, the conventional the consensus across the NFL was that Jameson Crowder was gone. And then he ended up coming back, and, and it was it was really frustrating for those believing in Elijah Moore. But Elijah Moore eventually was able to power through because of his talent. And I, even though Garrett Wilson has a higher draft capital by a full round than Elijah Moore, I don't see him coming in and instantly just becoming that wide receiver one. I do I think mean, it's Garrett not like Wilson, Elijah Moore was a UDFA. Like the guy has draft capital too. Exactly, he went early second round. This isn't someone that's just going to roll over. Uh, I do like Garrett Wilson long-term. I do think he has arguably the highest floor of any receiver here. I just, if somebody in this class is going to bust, I don't think it will be Garrett Wilson. Yeah, I think but, I think it's a good way to put it. I think, like, I think more than likely a wide receiver will always bust and naturally happens. But Garrett Wilson seems like the safe pick where it won't be him. But at the same, a lot of it just comes down to the progression of Zach Wilson. And that's kind of what all these receivers are tied to are the, is a production of their wide receivers. Because no longer are we drafting these guys thinking, okay, the year two or the year three breakout. No, like we're now getting spoiled as fantasy managers where, okay, it's what are you doing in year one as a rookie? Cause now if you're not producing your draft stock is now instantly falling compared to where we used to be. Okay. Give him a little bit of a break as a rookie year two. Now we target these guys for now. After you see all these guys like Justin Jefferson come out there, we see what happened last year with Jamar chase. We see what Jalen Waddle has done. Even Rashad Bateman, when he came back from his time being injured, like these guys, if you're a rookie, you almost need to perform out the gates. Um, T Higgins, that's another guy who we talk about, though I think does not give near enough respect in the NFL and also in fantasy football. So like you draft these rookies, you need them to perform here pretty quickly. And I think Wilson has a great chance of doing that. Speaking of another guy with a great chance to perform and early on as a rookie, that'll be Chris Olave, the receiver from Ohio State once again, but this time went at pick 11 to the New Orleans Saints. I, the biggest thing for me when we talk about Chris Olave, it's it's the route running. He is just a technician when it comes to a route running on the field. Decent size, too, 6'3 and a half, 190. I think that fits for where he's likely going to play in the NFL. He'll never be that big-time perimeter guy, but he's always going to be that Z or probably more likely in the slot. Um, although, we'll talk about this in a second, that role might change a little bit now after the New Orleans Saints brought back the uh, hometown kid in uh, in Jarvis Landry, a move that I didn't necessarily see coming, but I probably should have when we look back on it and the whole kind of uh, situation there. I think Olave, it's, it's a guy people seem to either love him or hate him because he's kind of falling right in that same range around like Chris, uh, around like Sky Moore. It's it's the opportunity. Like he was stepping into the guaranteed number two spot on the New Orleans Saints with Michael Thomas, who, look, we haven't seen for over a year and a half. I can't tell you what Michael Thomas you're about to see on the field. Is it the same one that we saw that was setting records when it comes to target share? Maybe. Is it a guy that has lost a step? Who knows? Because not to mention, too, we're still dealing with James Winston. Where is his recovery at ACL? Although his internet videos, and thank you for these, James Winston, they are the gift that keeps on giving. So your sound bites, you're, it, it looks like he's progressing well, but like I said, we'll find out when he's on the field. 
it was a situation where they needed a wide receiver and they traded up to get the guy who they felt was the best player who fits how they can work on their offense. Does Chris Olave still bring that same upside? I'm not sure, but it's a guy that is worth drafting. I think he probably is. What do you think, Katz? I'm more on the anti-Chris Olave side, but I'm beginning okay. to wonder if perhaps I am taking this whole uh, him being a four-year player a bit too far because Chris Olave's production profile in college is it's objectively good. And he is yeah, he literally a, set the new record at Ohio State with 35 receiving touchdowns. Yeah, he's he's a good he's he's clearly a good player. I don't think he's going to bust or anything like that. But there are concerns about him. Why didn't he come out after the 2020 season? And why is his why doesn't he have any given his speed? Why is he so unproductive after the catch? And these are these are legitimate concerns. Well, fair. But from an NFL standpoint, and in his first year, he was stepping into perceived volume alongside potentially Michael Thomas as the number two. But with Jarvis Landry there, I, I really do think Landry's going to be the two, and that pushes Olave down to the three. And if we're looking for, toward first-year production, let me look to Devonta Smith from last year. Uh, I mean, he stepped in immediately to a wide receiver one role. He had a 22% target share, and he averaged just 10.9 fantasy points per game. I think if Olave gets to even that level, it would be really impressive. Are we really asking this new version of Jameis Winston, the one that is not a gunslinger, that doesn't throw the ball downfield, the one that completed just 59% of his passes last year in seven games, who was averaging just 23 pass attempts per game, how is this guy going to produce two fantasy-relevant pass catchers, let alone three? Because the reality is Jarvis Landry, he will at least be fantasy-relevant. This is someone who has had at least 11.1 fantasy points per game every year of his career. He's, he's not going to be that guy who was a wide receiver four back in 2017. He's not going to average 15 fantasy points per game anymore, but he's, he's, he should get to at least double digits, and he's probably going to be second on this team in targets behind Michael Thomas. So I'm not sure what's going to be left for Chris Olave to do in his rookie season. You know what's interesting, though? You never even mentioned Alvin Kamara's name when talking about the pass catchers. Because that's a whole different other topic we got to get into about how much how much target he's going to get. Last year, he set a new career best frame when it comes to carries per game. But he's always going to be a threat out of the backfield. And he's always going to be one of those guys you got to consider. And especially for someone like a Chris Olave who and, and even Jarvis Landry. Because Alvin Kamara, he works in that exact same area of the field. Like that Texas or angle route, just rename it to the Kamara because of how many times a dude runs runs that route. Um, we'll see what happens when it comes to a potential suspension for him. I know his court hearing was delayed again. I, there's probably a very good chance he plays the entire season this year, but it's definitely something to keep in mind because that will have an impact on these pass catchers. I completely agree with you when it comes to just the amount of volume that it will take to support three quality wide receivers. Um, I mean, if you look, if you're getting 10 points per game out of Chris Olave and, and a flex spot, I don't think you're upset about that but I don't think he's ever coming into this league with the same upside as some of these guys like a Tra- like a Drake London, like a Traylon Burks or a Garrett Wilson who are going to be giving you that after-the-catch upside. Well, I think, like I said, Chris Olave, he's got the speed, he's got the route running. He's not that threat to break a game open, so you're hoping he hits in PPR, but I think that window to hit in PPR has probably been lessened a little bit because of the addition of Jarvis Landry. You bring in a veteran receiver, although it is on a team-friendly deal, you don't bring him in to sit behind a rookie. You know what I mean? And it's it's one of those. I do believe, I think it's going to go Thomas, and then it's Jarvis Landry. I think Chris Olave does probably come in third in the pecking order there. Like I said, and not to mention, look, Alvin Kamara, you can probably put him ahead of that. And then also, look, Marquez Calloway, he's still going to get run on the perimeter as well. Um, so I think the Saints have gone from a team that didn't have anyone to, I don't want to say having too much, but now it's right now, it's 
it's a little questionable for fans and managers and what they want to do. Um, another thing that I say, another position that's questionable for fans and managers, how you want to attack it. And that's going to be with Jamison Williams, uh, who was taken at pick number 12 by the Detroit Lions. On the field, Jamison Williams could have been the number one receiver off the board this year. The only thing that kept him from that was his ACL tear that was suffered in the national championship game against Alabama. But from what he did on the field was simply sensational. In 15 games, recorded 70 receptions for uh, for 1,572 yards and 15 touchdowns, accounting for almost 21% of the receptions and 2.7 yards per team passing attempt, which was one of the highest in the nation. He is a game-breaking style player averaging almost 20 yards per reception. Like like I said, he would have been probably the number one receiver off the board. Um, so when the when the Detroit Lions traded up 20 spots to get Jamison Williams, you knew he was going to be a massive part of their plans. More than likely, I would not be surprised if he starts the season on the pup list. So you're going to miss a decent chunk of time with Jamison Williams. So I think the question becomes at that point, do you think as a rookie, he will be able to have an impact despite starting the season on the pup list? and also still coming back from an ACL injury, which, look, it takes multiple years for that to come back. Because it's not just the the injury, it's the mental side of things. You have to be able to completely trust your knee, and that's the thing that a lot of guys talk about who have ACL tears. They don't fully trust it yet. And this is also a bit of a crowded room because you do, you do bring in DJ Chark. You have a Monroe St. Brown. So for me, Cats, do you see a path to where James and Williams is going to be a guy who you want to have on your roster when you walk out of there on draft day, or is this someone you're more than likely to try to target later on in the season, potentially off the waivers? I would be surprised if by the time uh, draft season comes around that Jameson Williams is being taken in your standard size 12 team league, just because I do believe he will start the season. If not on the pup list, he's going to miss the first month, at least around that around that area. And we're talking about a rookie who is going to miss training camp, miss OTAs, miss preseason games. He's not going to have those, those reps, he's not going to develop that rapport with Jared Goff that Amon Ross St. Brown already has, that TJ Hawkinson already has, that DeAndre Swift already has. Uh, yeah. The Lions may have been a really bad team last year, but they've got they've got a pretty, pretty solid group of weapons here at Goff's disposal. How many fantasy-relevant wide receivers are we asking Jared Goff to produce? I know he did it with his time in Los Angeles, so it's not like he can't do it, but Jamison Williams will probably return and at best be fourth on the target hierarchy, and I, I just don't see I, I don't see a likely scenario where he produces as a rookie, but I do like him long term. Yeah, I think one of the biggest hangups on on uh, on James Williams' upside is just coming down to Jared Goff. I mean, it's how many times can you can you ask him to try to facilitate getting this many guys? And you talk about his time with the Rams, but he was also dealing with a completely different offense. That was Sean McVay recalling the scheme that didn't want to necessarily just run the ball all the time and bike people's kneecaps off like Dan Campbell wants to, which I, I love that, man. I can't wait to see those guys on hard knocks. I know it's going to be a fun time, but I'm, I'm, I'm not far off with you when it comes to James Williams. I see more than likely if anything, he'll be a guy I look for off the waiver wire, but I will say this now take it for what it's worth. Um, it's a little early to get good ADP data. Um, underdog is one of those places where I can kind of get a little bit of a trend on where things are going. Although it is best ball. Jamison Williams right now is being taken at pick number 113. That's outrageous. Kind of high. Yeah, he's been taken at pick number 113, wide receiver 54 overall off the board, being taken ahead of guys like Rondell Moore, Nicole Hardman, Tim Patrick, Jacoby Myers, DJ Chark, Jarvis Landry, and even Kenny Galladay. 
So they are betting on the upside of him later on in the season. Um, we'll see. Like I said, you're pairing James Williams, the ultimate deep threat of this class, with Jared Goff, who had the lowest intended air yards per passing attempt last year of just 6.6 yards. We'll see which one wins out. Like I said, I, it's not, probably not a guy I'm likely to walk away from with drafts. Um, like, because probably someone likes him more than I do. I love James Williams, but he's probably someone who I'm going to let see what happens throughout the rest of the season and then try to get him off waiver wires. Um, I think another really interesting one is actually the number next receiver that came off the board at pick 16 uh, out of Penn State. This is Jahan Dotson, uh, selected by the Washington Commanders. Jahan Dotson was one of my favorite players just to watch of this class. Um, he probably has the biggest catch radius of anyone I've seen under 5'11". I, the guy is incredible. He's the best receiver to come out of Penn State since Chris Godwin. Um, I think he can do everything on the field. There is some... Go look up his highlight table. It was a one-handed grab that he put up against Ohio State. That was just sensational. That kind of aligns with the upside that Jahan Dotson brings. He's a speedy guy, can run every route that you want. A little undersized, don't get me wrong, but the way he's able to get separation in multiple levels of the route, and even for the guy who says, like I said, he's able to get separation at the point of the catch because I think far too often, and before I go on a tangent about this, like we need to stop lumping separation into just one little term define where the separation is coming from. Are they generating separation at the line with their release? Are you generating it at mid phase? Are you getting it at the, at the stem at the break, or are you getting your separation at the point of the catch? I think there's multiple places where someone creates separation. And so when we start talking about these players and what they're good at, don't just say, okay, they're not getting separation because they're not getting off the line necessarily. Someone like, okay, like, like for example, a Drake London. Yeah. He's not beating the release, but he creates separation at multiple other levels. That's one of the biggest things I'd love to see, like, just in the fantasy community in general, is, like, we start kind of giving a little more nuance and rather just saying the blanket phrase, separation, because Jahan Dotson, despite being five foot eleven, can create separation at the point of the catch. I love what he brings to the field. I just don't know how much Carson Wentz uh, I trust. You know, I think it's the biggest thing. It's, it's a landing spot for me. I think they needed a number two alongside Terry McClure, no question about it. Curtis Samuel, can he stay healthy? We'll find out. What's Tommy Brown going to do? I don't know. You still have Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. I think Logan Thomas is interesting coming off of injuries. Like I said, I, I like Jahan Dotson. I love him, but I probably like him more in Dynasty than I do for redraft this season, but I could be surprised. What do you think? I'm mostly with you in terms of what Jahan Dotson will do this year. He's stepping into an uncertain role. Could there be a ton of opportunity? Yeah, there could. If Curtis Absolutely. Samuel can't stay healthy then Jahan Dotson is, has a really good chance to be the commander's wide receiver too. I never liked Deami Brown. I was not high on him at all coming out of, of college. He's and a deep threat guy primarily, although he's he's better than being just a deep threat guy, but that was what he specialized in North Carolina. I mean, that, that's fair. But I mean, his, his rookie production, it just wasn't there. And by the end of the season, he he just wasn't playing anymore. And that's, hey, he's also got his old quarterback. Look, if I, we'll talk about this, I know you guys already talked about quarterbacks. I would not be surprised if Sam Howell was the first quarterback we see playing football this year in terms of rookies, like getting primary, like good snaps and all that kind of stuff, like not just like fill-ins. Like you could literally see Sam Howell throwing to Diami Brown. Like the first person that was on the phone with him was Diami after he got selected. So I just a fun thing, a thing, a fun thing to watch. Well, by bringing that up, it, it kind of also is an indictment on what may happen with uh, with Jahan Dotson because if yeah. Sam Howell is starting, well, then Carson Wentz must be playing really poorly. Or he's injured because he got both of his ankles sprained again on the same play by Aaron Donald. <laughs> that could happen. But assuming he doesn't get hurt, I do think there's a decent chance that Carson Wentz could end up getting benched. I mean, asking him to support 
multiple fantasy relevant pass catchers. I don't see that happening. You mentioned Logan Thomas, who should be back by week one. Terry McLaurin is clearly the alpha. Uh, J.D. McKissick, uh, he's certainly going to be involved. I mean, he had 53 targets last year in just in just 11 games. And Antonio Gibson... Well, he also expects to be involved because he could be playing for Buffalo right now if he wanted to, but he had collected no to come back to Washington. So he's expecting to still be involved in this offense. Exactly. I just don't see a path to Jahan Dotson really doing much in terms of fantasy relevance as a rookie. I do think he can hit that 500, 600 yard threshold we need him to hit, which will set him up to to take a nice step forward in year two and then year three. But in terms of being anything more than a wide receiver five in terms of fantasy as a rookie, that's kind of where I've got him at. And that's one of the biggest things is is due to like a lot of times we view these rookies in the lens of their draft class. Every single one of these rookies, you have to compare. How do they stack up to Keenan Allen? How do they stack up to Jamar Chase, to T. Higgins, to Marquise Brown? Because that's the guys who you're drafting them around. Just because you're potentially the number five of this class doesn't mean that you're going to have that high of a ceiling when you're compared to everyone else in the NFL. So while you might love someone in Dynasty for the long-term prospects, view how you view everyone else throughout that same lens. I think that's one of the biggest things. And I'm glad you brought up the whole thing with Carson Wentz and, like that and things like that because I, I struggle to think how they're going to facilitate this many pass catchers. Last season in neutral game scripts. This is just neutral. This is not when there's they're losing, which we expect to see Washington doing. Probably more than some of their fans would like. In neutral, pass, in neutral game scripts, they were only passing the ball on 55% of the time. But the worst part about it, in their pace of play, Washington was 21st in pace of play in neutral game situations. That's not going to cut it if you're falling from behind, when especially we need that garbage time that we always talk about. It's nice, but it only is useful if that team is capitalizing on it. Last season, that was not a thing they were really wanting to do. Um, just a couple picks later, we'll move on to our final receiver, who was taken inside of the first round, and this might end up being the best rookie receiver of this entire class, at least for the 2022 season, and that's going to be the big guy himself out of Arkansas, Traylon Burks, who steps in for the Tennessee Titans in a role that I didn't know was going to be open. I thought A.J. Brown would have been this here for a long time, but apparently not because the uh, Tennessee Titans shocked everyone by trading him to the Philadelphia Eagles to give Jalen Hurts another weapon. Uh, and in doing so, they opened up a spot on their death chart to where they needed a number one to fill in. Look, it's Everyone was comparing Traylon Burks to A.J. Brown, so it kind of makes a lot of sense. Now, granted, I would not sit here and say in full transparency that I think Traylon Burks is the same prospect A.J. Brown was coming out of college. A.J. Brown was a more polished receiver when he was coming out of Ole Miss than Traylon Burks is right now. However, Traylon Burks does a lot of things extremely freaking well. Um, when I started my whole process this offseason, Traylon Burks wasn't my number one receiver. He was my number one wide receiver uh, for this class going back to last season. So not actually a lot changed. He dropped a little bit. Um, but I think like what the upside that he brings is just too damn good. The guy can do it all on the field. Like it's, I know he tested poorly at the combine. I get that. But at the same time, if you go by GPS data, which all these teams have, Traylon Burks hit 22.6 miles per hour last year on a bubble screen. It would have been the fastest ball carrier recorded of anyone, college football or NFL. The guy has plenty of speed. I was not surprised he did not run in the four fours. He's not, he's a strider. It takes him a couple steps to get up to full speed. But once he gets up to full speed, you are not taking him down. Um, he can go up over top of any, on any cornerback he wants to. I think the guy from Ole Miss, he is still having nightmares of when he mossed him on back-to-back plays. And the fit just makes a ton of sense. 
if you look in, in t- if you look in AJ Brown's three years of the Titans, this is forty three games. Brown recorded the twenty three percent target share and and twenty six point five percent over the last two seasons. Um, he saw forty four percent of the wide receiver targets over the last two years, along with forty five percent of the yards. That equated to nearly three thousand yards and fifteen point one PPR points per game. I'm not trying to sit here and say that Burks is going to take one hundred percent of that, but the opportunity is absolutely there. So when we're looking at opportunity and plus skill plus skill sets, Traylon Burks, Tennessee, that's about as good as it gets, I think, for fantasy. I'm a little bit torn on Traylon Burks. I How dare don't you? Think, I don't think him running a 4-5-5 is a problem. I mean, he's 6'2", no. 224. Yeah, and that's I, a big and, thing. Plus, don't compare. You got to compare the speeds with the size that they are. Size-adjusted speed scores and things like that are so crucial. Exactly. And big his, guys running fast is way more impressive than small guys running fast. Yes, and when you, when you have small guys running slow, then you then you know that there's a real problem. But Traylon Burks, he's a big guy. And he he ran pretty fast. I mean, he has an upper percentile speed score based on his size. And we don't need wide receivers to necessarily be fast to produce. We just need them to hit a threshold. You can't run slower than like a four seven. And he ran a four five five. So there's no concern about writing him off due to being too slow. Then it comes down to well, production. Production's there. He was an early declare. I mean, there, there's still a lot to like here about his overall production profile before you even get to analyzing the film. So then we look at his landing spot for 2022 fantasy football. Is Ryan Tannehill the best quarterback to land with? No, of course not. But in terms of offense and the consolidation of touches, Tennessee is not a bad spot. It's going to not be at all. Der- it's going to be Derrick Henry dominating carries. And again, this is a team that ran the ball. of the time, which was the second highest rate in the NFL last season. But when they do throw, who do they have besides Traylon Burks and a 30-year-old Robert Woods coming off a late-season torn ACL? I do still like Woods. I do think he's going to be ready for week one. But there's two guys here catching passes. That's it. They do not have a tight end of consequence. I know Austin Hooper is there now, but... Austin Hooper is just—he's just a guy. He's a catch and fall down guy. He's—he's he's there as like an underneath safety blanket for. He's a better he's red like, zone threat. He's by no means the after the catch threat that Johnny Smith was. Right. So if they want a guy who's going to be able to do something after the catch, that's Traylon Burks. It's—it's it's not necessarily Robert Woods. Not anymore. He's not going to be that guy at 30 years old coming off the devastating knee injury. And then behind those two guys, what are we looking at? We're looking at a, a fifth rounder, fifth round rookie in Kyle Phillips. We're looking at Nick Westbrook, Akina. There, there's just there's just very little here beyond their top two guys. So we're going to see the majority of the touches of the offensive plays run through Henry, Burks, and Woods, which gives Burks an opportunity to produce at least as a wide receiver three as a rookie. Not saying he will. I'm just saying the opportunity is there. Do you think Traylon Burks has a path to be a wide receiver one in twenty twenty two, a top twelve receiver? I I, I don't. I, I really I, I can't I can't go that far. If we look at what AJ Brown did as a as a rookie, even then, I mean he was really really efficient. He had a thousand fifty one receiving yards and just fifty two catches, and he averaged thirteen point six PPR points per game. Yeah, I mean, he had eight touchdowns. If Burks somehow gets to like 10 or 12 touchdowns, I could see wide receiver two. But to be a wide receiver one. I can't project that though, obviously. Of course not. We're talking about like best case ceiling scenario. You got to realistically get to about 16 fantasy points per game to be a wide receiver one. I think that's asking too much from Burks as a rookie. But I could, could, I, could I see him finishing at like 14? There's a path. There's definitely a path. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's, it's all total upside with Traylon Burks because he's fitting into a role of a guy we were all comparing him to. So I think it just makes a ton of sense. 
we looked at every single year of like these last couple of years, especially like there's a rookie that has stepped up and all of a sudden just blown us out of the water. It was Justin Jefferson. Then it was Jamar Chase. Who's going to be that guy this year? I don't know. I think Traylon Burks absolutely has his name in that conversation to be that guy that just completely blows out of the water. I think Drake London is known those guys, just given the opportunities that he's sitting there with. Although comparing Ryan Tennell versus Marcus Mariota, who's got the better quarterback. I don't know. Um, Cause you go back to those other guys like Justin Jefferson. He had Kirk Cousins, who's a good deep ball thrower. So it matched up really well. Then you have Jamar chase paired with his former quarterback at LSU. So the chemistry was there because of these quarterback situations, what happens this year? I'm not entirely sure. I think Burks does have a shot to be the rookie wide receiver one of 2022 that I feel pretty confident in. Does it happen? Who the hell knows? We'll find out. That's the fun part about playing fancy, playing fancy football. Um, cats, that's probably going to wrap it up for today. We've covered the running back, the wide receivers who went inside of round one. I think what we're going to do is we will follow this episode up with another episode of kind of hitting on these wide receivers. Cause there's still several more guys that we probably need to talk about who will be relevant in one way or another for the 2022 season. Um, so thank you guys for tuning us. Join us today on PFN's premier fantasy football podcast. Be sure if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you subscribe to it. Head down into there and write and review the podcast. It does help us out a lot on whatever your favorite platform is that you're listening to this on. And we will see you guys for our next edition of the show.